0: Chapter 116 of Varney the Vampire, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cole McKinnon. Varney the Vampire, Volume 2. By Thomas Prescott Priest. Chapter 116 Jack Pringle Falls in Love and Has Rather an Unhappy Adventure with a Bull Dragon. Jack Pringle, like other men, was subject to the vicissitude of the passions, which placed him under a certain string of circumstances that produced results quite at variance with those which are usually anticipated, when an individual enters upon the pursuits of the tender passion. Indeed, Jack could see nothing at all unhappy, or in the least degree unfortunate, in the black eyes and rosy lips of Susan, who was most certainly the maid of the inn, though not in precisely the same rank as the one alluded to by the song. He had taken up his residence at the inn had Jack. Indeed, he was partial to inns in general. There was usually a greater latitude permitted there than elsewhere, not only each one being allowed to accommodate himself as he pleased, but he could always have what baccy and grog he chose to order as long as there was a shot in the locker. This being the state of affairs, Jack found another inducement to stay where he was, and that was the existence of the before-mentioned Susan, who appeared to be as kind as she was good-natured. She never refused to answer Jack's call, and when she came, she always said, "'What did you please to want, Mr. Pringle?' "'Mr. Pringle,' thought Jack, "'well, that sounds pretty from such a pair of lips.' Jack scratched his head and turning his quid in his mouth, was often lost in admiration, and forgot all his wants at that moment, and it was not until the question was more than once repeated, that Jack was aware that he really did not want anything, especially as his grog was not all gone. "'Well,' exclaimed Jack, looking at the glass, "'I forgot. But never mind, Susan, I'll have another can whilst this is going. So I shan't hurry you. I wouldn't hurry you, Susan. No, that I wouldn't. The course of true love never did run smooth.' That is, we know, a rule that is as old as the hills, but then it is of constant reoccurrence, and one that may be fairly presumed always will, to the end of the world, and possibly after. However that may be, Jack was not without a rival, and one of a very formidable character. Not that Jack valued him a piece of rotten yarn. No, he never did think anything of a landsman, especially a soldier, for it was to that class this rival belonged. "'Susan,' said Jack, as he sat in the kitchen, watching the various evolutions to which the hands of Susan were applied, in the performance of her multitudinous duties, "'Well, Mr. Pringle,' said Susan, "'Ah,' said Jack, and there was a pause, during which Jack forgot to even chew his quid, and was quite abstracted in a manner and thought. He had intended to say something, but it had quite escaped him and it was difficult for Jack to hold his thoughts, as it is for countrymen to hold a pig by the tail when this latter member was well greased, and, when it was of the description, usually denominated a bobtail a common occurrence. "'What did you say, Mr. Pringle?' said Susan, bustling about. "'I'm sure you were about to say something.' "'Well, I suppose I was,' said Jack. "'But I don't know what it was now. Perhaps you do. "'How should I know that? I can't tell what you're thinking about. "'What made you think that?' because your black eyes seem to go through me susan like a forty-two pounder i tell you what you ought to know what i want to say because i'm always thinking of you are you though yes i am said jack you're a light craft a rare pretty figurehead you'd make lor mr pringle said susan well you would though and i'll take three dozen and never wink if there's one to be found half as handsome in the whole british navy or in any other to think said susan that i should be called a figurehead well, I declare, I never heard the like. Why, what will you say next? I never thought that of you. Why, said Jack, who was very much bewildered, and didn't know precisely what to say. The turn the compliment had taken was one he couldn't understand. Why, you see, Susan, the figurehead is the beautifulest part of the ship, except maybe her rigging, her portholes, her sides, and her trim. But then you see—' Them things ain't no matter of likeness to anything human, especially you, Susan. Ain't they, Mr. Pringle? Well, you know best, but I dare say it's all right, for you must know best. But my cousin says I am more like the Venus de' Medici than anything else. Jack stared. Who? he inquired, with his eyes opening very wide. The Venus de' Medici, said Susan, speaking in a very slow, emphatic manner for Jack's behoof. "'Don't know her,' said Jack. "'I'll go bail. "'There ain't such ship in the Navy. "'There never was such a thing heard of, "'unless some of them, dem French craft. "'But your cousin ought to be well caught "'for saying you were, like anything, French. "'Why, you are true blue, and no French about you. "'Is there, Susan? "'I don't know. "'But I never heard there was, "'and I don't know if there is. "'But that's what he said, and he's been a long way. "'Who is he?' said jack laying emphasis upon the last word to indicate that the sound was displeasing oh my cousin well but who is your cousin inquired jack have you seen him very lately yes i saw him this morning his regiment is quartered only a few miles from this place oh said jack he's a soldier then yes he is a horse soldier added susan a horse marine ah i know em afore to-day they are a rare lot to lie and gallop away but lord bless you they never lay alongside an enemy till you've beaten him no no they can't do that he'll be here to-night said susan you shall see him mr pringle he's coming all this way to see me to see you said jack pringle who was much displeased with this piece of particular attention in the cousin and he could not help saying so "'But he is my cousin,' said Susan, "'and you know one cannot refuse to see one's friends and relations. "'Besides, he has been at all times very kind and good-natured to me, "'so that I cannot do otherwise than to receive him kindly.' "'Oh, to be sure,' said Jack, "'by all manner of means only we must understand each other, Susan. "'There can't be more than one captain aboard at a time.' "'How very odd you do talk, Mr. Pringle. "'My cousin will ask you what you mean.' will he now said jack well he may do so if he like but my lingo will be as good as his i am sure but we shall see him however but susan you don't care anything about him you know not a bit mr pringle only as a cousin you know oh very well said jack i don't care about that a bit but if it so be you're going to carry on any games you know why i won't stand it oh honor said susan looking tenderly at jack honor you know do you think i could be capable of doing so no i never do anything unbeknown to a person no i say let all be fair and no preference well said jack but i want all fair but i should have no objection to a low preference too don't you give no preference to me over a soldier susan don't know said susan "'but she gave a look towards Jack "'that made him suspend the libation "'he was about to pour down his throat. "'Oh, I see how it is with you, Susie,' "'said Jack, becoming more familiar and pleased. "'For Susan's black eye had a magical effect upon Jack, "'and he felt as if Susan must love him "'as much as he loved Susan. "'Her eyes told him more than her tongue. "'Jack was quite sure of that. "'When is he coming?' said Jack. To night, said Susan.' and you must promise me you will be very quiet and civil, and then you shall see him, only you won't take any notice of what he says or does.' "'No, no,' said Jack. "'It's all right, I understand. I won't quarrel with him, no, not even if he were to, but splinter my mainmast, if I could stand that.' "'Stand what?' inquired Susan demurely. "'Kissing of you,' said Jack, striking the table with his fist so as to make the glass that happened to be there tremble. "'I couldn't. "'I could stand the cap first. "'Lor, Mr. Pringle, who asked you to do so? "'I am sure I would not do such a thing.' "'What?' said Jack. "'Why, to let him kiss me, to be sure.' Jack looked, perhaps felt, electrified, and after a moment's pause, took his quid out of his mouth hitched up his trousers, and then seized Susan by the waist, and gave her a kiss. It was a kiss, such a one only as a man-of-war's man could give. It went off like the report of a pistol. "'Lore, Mr. Pringle,' said Susan, "'I thought you were quite another sort of man. What would my cousin, the dragoon, have said if he had seen you? Dear me! You must have alarmed the whole house. I didn't think you were going to make so much noise, though.' A footstep approached, and the landlady thrust her head in, but Susan was busy, and Jack was chewing his quid, as grand as an admiral. "'Susan?' "'Yes, ma'am,' replied Susan. "'What's the matter?' "'Don't know, ma'am. Didn't know there was anything wrong at all, ma'am. I thought I heard a plate smash just now. Are you sure you haven't broken anything?' "'Yes, quite, ma'am.' "'Oh,' said the landlady, "'I certainly thought I heard a smash. But—' i suppose it was a mistake altogether however i am glad of it there said susan when she had gone i told you how you had alarmed the place well said jack who felt much abashed at what had happened i didn't make so much noise either but never mind the evening came round and with it came the dragoon as fine a specimen of military dress discipline and riotism as can well be let loose upon a decent community and susan met him in the passage ah my pretty susan said the son of mars the star of my destiny and the hope of my heart while i wear spurs i will love you ever dearest oh come none of that nonsense you know robert it won't do you say too many fine things you know of course i do but i can say them without occasion no as well might you want day without daylight the moon without moonlight you inspire me you see, and without you I couldn't say anything. "'I dare say not,' replied Susan. "'You are such a man that you make one believe what you say. You ought, since I speak the truth and nothing else. But come, come, we'll go in. I want to talk to you, Susan. I came on purpose to see you. There's the barmaid in the plough and gooseberry bush, quite sulky because I didn't stop there. But I know I promised you I would come, and so I would be as good as my word. Are you sure she was sulky?' "'Certain, because she did would not say good-bye. Well, but now I want to speak to you about something I want to explain. Explain, my dear. I'll explain anything that can be explained. I don't mind what it is. You'll never find me backward in coming forward with any amount of explanation that you can by any possibility require. That is not what I want. I have a cousin here. I—' I am not particular. I will pay her every kind of attention. I am sure you will acknowledge I am not wanting in any attentions to you. Oh, dear, no! But it is not a female cousin that I want to speak to you about." Indeed! I can't tolerate another. Yes, but you must. He's just come from sea, and is a very odd man, but an uncommonly good-hearted man. So don't take any particular notice of what he says or does. I don't mind him a bit not the value of a pinch of snuff. Yes, but you must do that, only don't do anything to vex him. You can be pleasant company when you please, I know. And so I will. To please me you will, for though I don't care anything for him more than if he were my brother, yet he's very fond of me. That's no recommendation to me, said the dragoon. A spoony anchor-buttons? I suppose. You must be civil to him, or I will never see you any more. "'Well, then, my charmer, I will say anything you like to this salt-water fish of yours. But he mustn't lay hands upon you. If he should do so, why, I should be obliged to chastise him. But he's a man-of-war's man, and I'm a man-of-war myself, my dear.' "'Lor,' said Susan, upon which she turned her eyes and face towards the dragoon, who could not let such an opportunity slip." and he immediately saluted her in true military style, but he did not commit the same offence that Jack Pringle did, for the former told no tale by the report. It was all quiet, and he followed Susan until they came to the room in which Jack was sitting. "'This is Mr. John Pringle,' she said. "'Aye, aye,' said Jack. "'Here I am, Jack Pringle, a floater on shore, all the same. And this,' continued Susan, "'is Mr. Robert Swabham.' "'How do you do?' said Jack, Mr. Swapham. "'I dare say it is so, but since we are to be shipmates, we may as well be friends. "'How do you do?' "'Pretty well, I thank you, Mr. Pringle. "'Very well, indeed. "'Hope I see you quite well, and at home?' "'Yes, quite so, both ways, well, and at home. "'The devil! "'Yes, we call him Davy Jones, but then I suppose you have one on purpose, in your line. "'Why?' there's a little of the devil in us that is pretty well admitted on all hands and that's as much as we have any wish to have in way of connection with the gentleman whom you name ay ay maybe you'll know more of him afore you are done but no matter sit down messmate we can discuss a can of grog i reckon yes easily i can do my duties in any point friends you may best please facing an enemy, drinking a can, or kissing a lass, what more can you say? I can do the same myself as some I know can testify, if they chose to speak,' said Jack, who gave a sly look at Susan. But at the same time she nearly fell a-laughing, when reminded of Jack's tremendous smack, which the landlady mistook for a smashing of crockery. "'But how so, member? cried Jack, who had relapsed into a grim smile. "'We'll have a can together.' "'Very well,' "'Susan, will you do what is needful for us? "'If the landlady would allow me, I'd wait upon you and do all your work.' "'And a pretty boobery,' said Susan, she would make of it. "'You would soon get discharged for tasting the grog on its way from the bar to the parlour. "'Ah, well, I might get in trouble if I did that.' "'What do you say, friend Jingle?' "'Pringle!' said Jack. "'Ah! "'Oh, ah, ringle! "'I have it now distinctly.' why you swab said jack in a rage i ain't got so nickshaw names as them mine's quite different altogether so say what you like my name said the soldier ain't swab but swabum at your service ah said jack whether swab or swabum it don't much matter we all must fill our place some are luckier than others though they might be cousins cousins curse cousins say i same here said jack and then they both stared at each other believing each other's cousins to susan though not to each other i am glad you are here said susan i have the grog for you it's extra strong i know because i put some more into it i turned the tap on into each and she didn't see me do it ah susan i see you have a great regard for me but it's not more than you ought when you come to consider how i respect you said the soldier the same here said jack who thought this pretty good for a cousin i admire susan she's got such eyes and such cheeks so she has they are like diamonds set in roses that they are yes said jack and it's soft as velvet damn said the soldier you beat me a hollow i say messmate where did you learn to fire your great guns off in that manner eh where said jack putting the can down why where there were men to fire into us again i'll warrant you it was none of your field days where people are tearing their hearts out to look fine no no the lee scupper ran with the blood and every heart was a true british sailor's well that was good but when i served on foreign service there was no getting out of the way of danger behind a wall stone brick or wooden "'No, nor even laying on the ground. We had not even that, for as we fought we destroyed the very building which supported us, and we had the spirits of the sea to contend against us, as well as the dangers of the fight. "'Oh, it's all very well,' said the soldier, "'but danger's danger, and there's an end of that matter. Only I wish there was no such thing as bad grog. That's a great evil.' Why, what do you think we did at Portsmouth the day after we landed? The landlord gave us bad grog, and how do you think we served him? Why, we made him drink it till he was so drunk he couldn't lay down without being afraid of falling. And then we cut his hair all off. Well, I recollect a place in Portugal where they brought us some wine which we couldn't drink. It was horribly thin and sour. We had in vain asked for better, but none was to be had in our building indeed we felt sure there was better and we determined to have it we called our landlord and told him we were resolved to ruin him if he didn't bring it up we would have better wine but he protested he had not got any now we were resolved to search and accordingly we did search until we came upon some beautiful wine some of the best port ever i tasted and we made free with it at all events we drank as much as we could drink and then fell fast asleep and forgot to punish our landlord for the rascality but i suppose he was well aware of what he deserved for he endeavoured to excite some of the peasantry about to murder us while we were slept and when we awoke we found ourselves surrounded by a dozen men there was but three of us but we were armed and the peasants had nothing but miscellaneous description of weapons old guns swords and clubs but they were not the men we were well it came to a hard fight more blows were struck however than did any mischief because we could make use of our tools and fought so hard that they were glad to leave us victors lor said susan you don't mean that do you i do indeed but that was nothing "'I've frightened a whole regiment of the enemy.' "'Eh?' said Jack. "'What's a whole ship's compliment, eh?' "'Well, that will do. "'Go ahead. "'You beat all the cousins as ever I've heard of, "'if you don't never mind me. "'That is all about it. "'A good yarn, well spun, "'is worth a glass of grog at any time. "'Well, I'll tell you all about it. "'It's sooner told than done. "'I can tell you. "'But never mind. "'Susan, don't be frightened.' It's all past now, though it was true, but the best things must have an end, some time or other, and this had one, too. I was serving in Spain. I fought against the French, then, and though I say so, you may depend upon it, I took my chances as well as any other man. However, I had many inclinations to go a step or two beyond my strict duty, and do more than I was obliged. But what of it? If you succeed, you are sure to be rewarded.' and I wanted, if I could, to capture a pair of colors which would give me a step in my regiment. "'Charge, my brave boys!' shouted the colonel, as the enemy appeared coming down upon us. There were three or four to one, besides a reserve at a short distance, but we thought nothing of that. We had every reason to believe we were outnumbered, but that was all, and we drove hard at them. It was a glorious sight to see us full tear at the heavy armored cavalry, in squadrons, but they had the advantage of weight and number of men. Yet our shock was so great that many of the enemy were thrown out of their saddles, and many more were killed. We hewed and hacked at each other for some time, until, in fact, the enemy began to give way as soon as we began to find out that we urged our horses on and ourselves to strain our utmost and we forced them back and they began to turn about in bright earnestness and show us their heels Unfortunately for us, there were no other troops at hand to support us. I say unfortunately, for while we were engaged in beating a larger force than our own, and which even then outnumbered us, we were taken in the rear by the reserves, and many men were cut down before our men could be called off. Among those who were taken prisoner was myself. I had received one or two severe wounds, which were indeed considered mortal, but which were not so dangerous as they were believed. However, As I kept my saddle, I was taken prisoner. Indeed, I was unable to offer any resistance. My eyes were filled with blood. "'Lor, how dreadful!' said Susan. "'It was dreadful to think of it then. But I did not. I was too much occupied with my desire to do my duty, so heated and excited to think of anything about it. I was dragged away. Then what became of me? I don't know.' but I have some recollection of having a cloak thrown over me, and I rode away in company with them. I know we went away very fast, for they dreaded another charge of our men, and they had succeeded in escaping and reforming, and they were hovering reinforced upon our march. Well, that night, as I was deemed too badly wounded to give them any trouble or attempting to make an escape, they let me lie in a stable. I fainted away and, after several attempts to restore me, they left me as a hopeless case. But it was no matter to them, they didn't grieve. I wondered in my own mind as to the reason of their doing so much, but I suppose it was that prisoners were at a premium with them at that time, and they were anxious to return as large a number of prisoners as possible, and, upon the principle which induced the elderly dame to attempt emptying the sea with a teaspoon, that every little was a help, they thought that if i lived i should be one more and where the numbers were small one was of importance they gave me up as a bad job altogether and after they had racked up their horses they sat down for the evening to their meat and their wine they had been all conversing together but they were about to lie down and have some sleep when suddenly i woke from my trance and walked out without at all knowing what i did the men stared at me and shook like so many aspens, but did not stir till one of them said, "'A ghost! A a ghost!' This had the effect of clearing the place, for they all jumped up and ran away from the spot, leaving me master of the place. And judging that I was alone, I very soon made my way back to the quarters of the English, and got to the quarters of my old regiment, where I was kindly received, my comrades having given me up and lost. Well—' said jack pringle you were very nearly gone certainly though you weren't quite a ghost but that ain't half so bad as a fire-ship especially in towing a fire-ship among the enemy i was once on an expedition of that sort when i was in the mediterranean lor a fire-ship what's that inquired susan a shipload of fire with lots of combustibles," said jack it's a thing that won't do for a plaything." Well, the enemy had several, and as we came up to them, we found they had the wind in their favor, and the first thing they did was to put out several of these fireships. But the wind was not direct for them, it was shifting. Well, we were ordered to man the boats, and tow the fireships back again amongst the enemy. Well, you may be sure that they didn't like that, especially when the fireships blew up they did so with a dreadful explosion setting fire to friend and enemy and blowing them out of the water this we did and as we towed the vessel along we were fired at at a pretty smart rate i can tell you why the very sea seemed to boil around us lor said susan how dreadful why it's horrible here when the pot boils and heaven knows what it must have been there why i am sure i wonder how you escaped being scalded to death Why." "'Some on em did get killed,' said Jack. "'My starboard man was shot through the head, "'and one or two more went on an errand to Davy Jones.' "'It was lucky for them,' said Susan, "'that they were set out of the way "'when there was so much danger going on around you. "'I am sure I should have been glad.' "'Maybe so,' said Jack, turning his quid. "'But I know this. "'Them as was sent up on the errand "'never came back any more. "'They stayed away altogether, "'many of them becoming food for the sharks.' However, we towed away, and the breeze shifting we got pretty well among them, and then we left the fire-ships where they ought to be, among the enemy. Well, we had a hard pull to get back, there being five or six ships firing broadside after broadside at us, but they never hit the boats. The other boat they did hit, and a shot went clear through her, and she went down in the deep water. And what became of the poor men that were in it? inquired Susan, horrified at the detail. Some on them were drowned, and some were safe, said Jack. But we had scarcely reached our own vessel when the fire-ships blew up, setting fire to and damaging several of the enemy, who were near at hand, and covering the sea with bits of burning timber, and many fell into the ships, setting fire to their rigging, and knocking men on their head, and doing a world of mischief besides. "'Goodness me!' said Susan. "'What a dreadful thing to be sure! "'I should not like to be near a fire-ship. "'At all events, Mrs. is quite a fire-ship here.' There were but a few observations to make. Jack thought he had quieted the dragoon, and had given him a dose of salt water, and moreover— Jack oogled the maid of the inn in such a way that speedily brought the military hero to a sense of his danger, so curling his mustache with his finger, he said, "'Well, it's all very well talking of the dangers of the sea, but it's nothing to a storming party.' "'A storming party? What's that?' inquired Susan. "'Why, I'll tell you, my dear, and then you'll know all about it. You see, when we were at the Siege of Bang Powder." "'Never heard of such a place,' interposed Jack. "'What's the bearing of that outlandish place?' "'Oh, never there, eh?' said the dragoon contemptuously. "'Then you don't know it. Talk of danger, you should have been there, and you would have known what danger was. However, I'll enlighten your ignorance. You must see, Susan, my dear, that at Bangpowder we were very little use in the way of assisting the siege, except that we acted as outposts foraging parties and kept off the light-shoots of the enemy when they shooed themselves while the infantry set to work in the trenches to work the guns they did work them above a bit too for weeks together there was firing day and night on our side and on theirs so the air was never without a strong smell of gunpowder which you might smell for twelve leagues quite strong lor said susan "'Smash my timbers,' said Jack Pringle, "'if ye ain't a in it strong this time.' "'Well,' continued the dragoon, taking no notice of what was said, "'well, that was nothing. That was a mere trifle. After some week's firing, we made a hole in the wall, which increased day after day until big enough for a man to enter. After that, a storming party was ordered. But, after more than one attempt, our men gave it up as a bad job. Our captain—' being a daredevil sort of fellow, and not liking to see men beaten back, said the breach was practicable, and could be entered. This was denied by the officers and men who had been defeated, and he said if his own troop would volunteer, he would undertake to enter the place. This was told us, and we all at once volunteered to follow him to the devil, if he chose to go. He at once informed the commander-in-chief, and we were ordered to mount the breach— To do this we of course dismounted, and went on foot. There was some little excitement upon this matter, but we were cheered as we passed, and when we arrived within a few yards of the wall we were met by a tremendous fire of all arms. This, however, did not daunt us, though it thinned our ranks, and we were less in number. But up the breach we went, one man at a time, six of them, one after another, were knocked over dead as herrings. Well, the men began to look blue over this they wouldn't have minded rushing on in a body, and giving and taking till they all died. But to get on top of a brick wall, one at a time, to be shot at, why it was more than they liked, especially as they had not struck one blow, or fired a single shot in return. "'Hurrah, lads!' said I. "'I'll have a shine, now. Come on, follow me quick!' I jumped up and cleared the wall, though a thousand bullets were fired, and got over clear without a shot, save one, that shaved some of my whisker off. We all got over, and soon after were followed by some of the other regiments, and the place was our own, but we were nearly stripped naked. Oh, Lord, how was that? inquired Susan, interested. Why, we had so many narrow escapes that our clothes were all shot to shreds. Goodness! Oh, but it is true, said the dragoon rising, and going out of the kitchen. In a few moments afterwards Susan left it also, and Jack— after turning his quid and squirting the tobacco-juice on the floor, rose and hitched up his trousers with a preliminary "'Damn!' left the kitchen also. But he hadn't gotten far when— "'Oh, horror!' he perceived Susan in the arms of the dragoon, whose moustached lips more than once met hers. "'Sink the ship!' muttered Jack. "'Here's a pretty go, the black-looking piratical thief!' but Jack's peace was soon held as he listened to the assignation which Jack was determined he would keep himself to the discomfiture of the dragoon. Having made up his mind upon this point, he returned to the kitchen, and Susan also, in very few moments. But Jack pretended to be asleep and wouldn't speak to her, because he thought she hadn't behaved well in this affair of the dragoon. He was resolved, however, in substituting himself for the soldier or at all events, of making a row. The time came, and Jack stationed himself upon a position where he could with ease lift the dragoon into the water-butt below, in case he offered any opposition to the substitution before named. The moment came round, and the dragoon was seen slowly and cautiously mounting the way to the window of Susan. It was a kind of leads just above the water-butt, accessible by means of some wooden steps. "'Avast there!' said Jack, when he got up to the level with the top. "'What do you do there?' "'What is that to you?' inquired the dragoon. "'A great deal,' replied Jack. "'But you don't come here. I heard all about it. "'But I tell you what, you ain't coming here at all events. "'But I am.' "'Don't attempt, or I'll sink you. I will, by all that's good. "'So keep back and go away.' "'I'll see you dead first,' said the dragon. "'I have mounted a worse breach than this before to-day, "'but I suspect there isn't much danger here.' He ran up and soon faced Jack, who seized him round the waist, would have lifted him up in his arms, and could have thrown him into the water-butt. Only Jack's foot suddenly slipped, and he fell down, the soldier upon him, who in an instant regained his feet, and rolled Jack over and over, until he came to the water-butt. Into this Jack went head first, and kicked and floundered about, and if the water-butt had not been very rotten and gave way, letting all the water escape, it is very doubtful if Jack would not have found a watery grave in the confined space of a water-butt. As it was, he was more than blind and breathless, and sat down in the midst of the water on the stones, to recover himself from the immersion he had undergone. End of chapter 116